Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150, on this beautiful late summer day here in Seattle. I am fresh off of the Vashon Sheepdog Trials, and I am going to give you a recap of that event after our interview today with Ellen O'Neill Stevens, who is the founder of Courthouse Dogs. And I talked with Ellen back in... January of 2011 for the first time. It was episode number 97. And uh, we're approaching 350 episodes now. So um, we have Ellen on the line with us. Ellen, welcome back to The Dog Show. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, Julie. So there are, you know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to talk with some really amazing people doing some really amazing work with, you know, dog-related, of course, um, nonprofit organizations that are really just blowing it out of the water. And and over the years, whenever I think of those organizations that I'm just like, oh, they are just, they got it together and they are powerfully making a difference in this world Courthouse Dogs is is one of the first few that comes to mind over the years. And well, thank you so much. And that was based off of our interview several years ago and mm-hmm. you guys have really grown a ton. I remember talking to you about um you know, so I think you were uh, on the, in the earlier stages of sort of becoming more nationally implemented and now you are very very well established all over the country. Um, but I wanted to talk about just to kind of introduce people to the organization so that they have a sense for the work that you do. And then we can talk about how you've grown since, uh, you know, since our first conversation. So will you just tell us a bit about the work that you do? Um, sure, I would love to. But first, I want to tell you that I'm, I don't think that I am an amazing person, Um <laughs> I, um, when I became a prosecuting attorney uh, in Seattle, King County, Washington, I took my role as a public servant very, very seriously mm. and just thought, I am here to serve the public. I am here to make things better. And this is, uh, the courthouse dog movement is another opportunity to to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just consider it my job. And fortunately, Celeste Walson, who's my partner, she's a veterinarian, she has the same attitude. So we don't really reflect back on how how much we've accomplished over the years that we've been working together since 2008. We continue to look forward. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that we would not be as successful as we are, but for the fact that there are so many other like-minded people out there mm-hmm. like us that truly are passionate about making the legal system better mm-hmm. and providing better services to people and you know making the process far less traumatic than mm-hmm. it has to be mm-hmm. so i i just i have to say that it's just been so gratifying that there are so many like-minded people and that has been what's contributed to our success uh, so in terms of us growing, um, we have always, uh, we've, we have this website, which has been huge in terms of uh, providing information to the public. Uh, 
um, and and it's very very accessible. Mm-hmm. So that has been a great portion of our success. And that's courthousedogs.org. That's correct. Yep. And we and so and this is a nonprofit organization, and we um, our mission statement is to um, teach legal professionals about the benefits of the use of these incredible dogs. Um, we also partner with the assistance dog organizations that train and place these dogs mm-hmm. because we teach the humans, mm-hmm. and the assistance dog organizations teach the dogs. Mm-hmm. So without one or the other, this would not go forward. Right. Um, and then we also support scientific research in this field because initially judges were saying, I think this is just a gimmick. Like, no, there really is scientific research that shows that when you're in the presence of a very calm dog, you become calm. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it, it helps us to have that information there as well. So what are some of the ways where calming a person with a calm dog will help in the context of a courthouse? Well, I think the most obvious uh, way that, and, uh, that this happens is in the courtroom. And um, I was just talking with an appellate attorney at the Snohomish County Prosecutor's Office, Seth Fine, earlier today about how the legal system was created to be adversarial with the idea that if you put someone under stress, it will be more difficult for them to lie, and therefore you'll get to the truth. Mm. Well, fortunately, we know that that's no longer the case because what we have learned is that when you put someone under stress and they start reliving a traumatic event in their lives, Mm -hmm. then they start re-experiencing those same emotions they had at the time of the incident. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to illustrate this is to compare, is the comparison of a World War II soldier Mm -hmm. who's in his late 80s talking about a traumatic event that happened on the battlefield in, uh, you know, over 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're being interviewed by somebody who's very supportive, and, and they're being asked to recount, you know, landing on the Normandy beaches. Mm. And as they start talking about this, they start remembering it. What do you see happen there? Their voices catch, their eyes uh, well up with tears, mm-hmm. and they stop talking. Mm. And when that happens to a witness on the stand, they don't have control over what's happening to them, you know, internally. The jury can't hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely important and something that we haven't, judges and lawyers and the legal system hasn't realized is that an adversarial environment makes it harder to find what the truth was and get to the facts of the case. Yeah. So the dogs are just an incredibly neutral way to relax people, to make them feel safer on an unconscious level because human beings rely upon dogs to alert us to danger. And if you have a dog sleeping at your feet while you're talking about something that's scary, then you feel more secure. Yeah. So that that is that is how this has progressed in terms of us being more knowledgeable about how difficult this process is and how the dogs can make it better. Well, and it's not something to be underestimated, this effect that dogs have on humans, given that, you know, we've been living together for the most popular number now is 40,000 years. And 
that, you know, a lot of the the benefit way, way, way back was, you know, having a whole bunch of dogs surrounding where you're living or at least where you're set up, you know, eating the cleaning off the carcasses or whatever they were doing. And then there's some sort of predator or intruder and the dogs start barking and it gives, you know, gave us basically a warning system for, you know, really basic um, threat. And essentially having dogs, I think, really allowed us to start to relax. And I think that, I mean, and that's so I, it doesn't surprise me at all that there's a physiological response to being with a dog. Yes, I think, you know, our brains are wired together. Dogs, it's a, a symbiotic relationship between humans and dogs. Mm-hmm. And we rely upon them. So just put that in a courtroom setting where you're, you know, it's a scary environment for adults. Um, and you understand that you're going to have one attorney try to make it out that you're not a credible person. Right. And you're looking at the defendant just a few feet away from you, and the right. judge is really scary over here. Right. And when that dog is just lying there very quietly in the witness box, and you're holding that dog's leash, you get the unconscious message that if anything was wrong, that dog would be vigilant. It would be looking around. It would be sending me those signals to be alarmed. And when they're sleeping, and unfortunately these dogs also happen to snore at times during the trial, <laughs> um, you feel like, oh, I'm safe, I'm yeah. safe. It's just remarkable. So um, who, what kind of person, does it take a specific kind of person to, like, um, a qualify to have a dog next to them, or is anybody entitled? Well, so... Um, I will first tell you what our philosophy is. The philosophy of our foundation Mm -hmm. is that these dogs should be available to anyone that is impacted, um, you know, traumatically impacted by the process. Mm -hmm. And so um, I first started this program with teenagers in drug court um, who were recovering from their addictions, and these were the defendants. But it was very difficult with their anxiety and their withdrawal symptoms to engage in the process. And when the dog was there, it made it easier for them. So we think that the dog should be available to anyone who can, who can make the representation that they would benefit from it if, if we're talking about trials. And that would include defense witnesses or even the defendant, because what we're trying to do is get to the truth. Mm-hmm. So that is where we hope to go in the future. But... In terms of how this is evolving in the past, before we thought of the ideas of dogs helping witnesses, the courts were beginning to realize that children who had to talk about being sexually assaulted Mm. in front of the defendant uh, often couldn't do it. And so they thought, well, maybe we need to make some accommodations for them. So they started to allow children to hold a doll or a um, a blanket or some sort of lovey, you know, object to make them feel more secure. Or sometimes they would allow a support person to either sit in view or sit next to that person when they testify. So they were beginning to realize, okay, sexually assaulted children talking about this, we'll try to give them a leg up. So there are some statutes and case law that support that. And so that was the beginning of thinking, well, some of these witnesses, children need this benefit. Um, And so now there is, um, since we last talked, there's case law 
that allows now allows these dogs uh, to assist uh, children. And and there was one particular case where the man um, had uh, an adult man had developmental disability and had a hard time talking mm-hmm. uh, about what had happened to him. Um, and now there are um, statutes that allow these dogs to assist children. Where we want to go in the future is to uh, make the dog available to everyone that would have difficulty testifying. So the the 19-year-old who saw his mother murdered, mm. he, you know, if it would be hard for him to do that, he should have a dog, mm-hmm. you know. And so we, we, want to, we want to do that. That's where we hope to see this go. And I think I remember in our first conversation that it, it was also not just when somebody was testifying, but even in, um, I think you called it a forensic interview, mm-hmm. where like kids, um, you know, not just in, in the face of whoever was the directly the scary person, but that they wouldn't want to tell a, a strange detective what happened to them or what they saw either, but they might tell the dog or point to point to the dog's body or where the dogs really helped um, the the uh, efforts to bring justice because they needed the, the testimony. Absolutely. So another thing that I've learned over the years uh, from a child psychologist, Dr. David Crenshaw, who's on our advisory board, mm-hmm. Um, and he's a child. He works with traumatized children in a therapeutic setting. He's told us that it takes him months and months and months of working very closely with a child in a supportive environment for them to get to talk about traumatic events. They have to establish trust. You know, fast forward or over to the legal system where a child that has been sexually assaulted um, is, you know, shortly after disclosure brought to a an office told that you're going to have to talk to someone who's a complete stranger about what, you know, Uncle John did to you. And so within arriving at the the office, within, I would say, 20 minutes, all of a sudden you're in a room by yourself talking to a complete stranger who is digging all of these details out of you. And it's like, we, you know, we want this evidence right now. Give it to us. So that's a problem. Uh, but that's an investigation as well. You know, the police sure. need to find out what happened. So having the dog there during that process is huge um, in terms of, again, making the child feel more secure. And um, often these children will just turn to the dog and tell the dog what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, the dog is it's, it's used so much in terms of them being non judgmental, but they don't care. They're not reacting facially to what is being said. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, I think you probably get the biggest bang for your buck with these dogs is having the, them help children during the investigative phase yeah. because if they're able to tell what happened, there might be a guilty plea instead of a trial, and then you have saved the mm-hmm. family and the child the trauma of going through a trial, and you've also saved the taxpayers thousands of dollars by, by not having to pay for a trial. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's definitely just an association of safety or Mm -hmm. oftentimes anyway that we have with dogs. It's quite, quite fundamental and profound. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Ellen O'Neill Stevens, who's with Courthouse Dogs. You can find them online at courthousedogs.org. And you're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 20th, it's a Talk With Your Animals Sunday with gifted animal communicator, medium, and Reiki master, Darcy Pariso. Darcy can help you talk with and learn about your animal friends or help you connect with animal or human loved ones on this side or the other. Plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit dogradioshow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com.
news, traffic, and weather. Now you can get your information fixed weekdays on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we are back talking with Ellen O'Neill-Stevens, who's the founder of Courthouse Dogs. You can find them online at courthousedogs.org. And if you've missed any part of this interview, you can find all of our almost 350 episodes archived on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can also go to iTunes and download for free. We are a free audio podcast. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And you might want to look up my first interview with Ellen O'Neill-Stevens, which was episode number 97 Back in 2011, it was January 5th of 2011, you could uh, get filled in on some of the story about her son, Sean, and his service dog, Jeter, and how courthouse dogs got started. So, Ellen, um, you said during our break here that there was um, sort of an experience in Idaho that you wanted to share with the audience. Yes, I I did, Um, and it relates to um, the training that the dogs should have in order to be successful at this work. And just briefly, we believe that um, only dogs that are graduates from assistance dog organizations that are members of Assistance Dogs International should be doing this work. And those dogs, those types of dogs, are called facility dogs. And that's an awkward name, but they were given that name because they're placed with professionals to assist many people in a work environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And initially it was at hospitals to assist physical therapists uh, with physical therapy and and patients. And then schools, a special education teacher would have a facility dog to assist the Mm -hmm. children in in, uh, class projects and programs, and then it just became uh, the courthouse was the next facility where these dogs are working. These dogs have the same training as a service dog, so they can open doors and turn on lights and that sort of thing, but they are specially selected for this work because of their very, very calm demeanor. Mm -hmm. They're very self-confident. They uh, can work in a high-stress environment with a plum, and uh, and that is the key to their success because they do not distract from the legal proceedings. Judges are very concerned that um, this is just going to be, you know, out of control, a kind of a circus. I yeah. can't have a dog in the courthouse for that reason, right? Or the courtroom, right? Barking anytime somebody gets up, or you know, right. even exactly. shifting too much. And the other thing too that I think is so important because I've done a lot of shows over the years about you know topics related to service dogs and therapy dogs and um, you know animal assistance, assisted crisis response, and you know all sorts of stuff, and how. You know, the training is is an important part. And then you talked a bit about that also these dogs have a certain kind of temperament mm-hmm. that enables them, because of who they are naturally, mm-hmm. to be to handle these kind of high-stress environments. Because, you know, 
taking care of the the environment in the courtroom, but also taking care of the dog's emotional well-being and making sure that this is a dog who can handle being in this kind of place as well. You know, that kind of has the temperament for it. Exactly. So to, you know, to place a pet therapy dog in an environment where there's yelling and and police officers walking around in handcuffs or not handcuffs, carrying handcuffs, that sort of thing, you know, that they they can become very anxious quite quickly. And they're and their owners are supposed to immediately remove them from that environment when they're anxious. And it's not it's not thoughtful uh, or kind to put a dog in that situation at all when they're when they don't have the temperament. I have a corgi; she would be lousy at this. Right, so, you know, she would go after people so, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> and make sure they all went in the right direction. So would our cattle but, dogs. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I digress. Getting back to Idaho. Yeah. So we were headed out to uh, Bonner County, Sandpoint, Idaho, and we had got the word that a judge there, when he heard about their newly placed dog from uh, Canine Companions for Independence, um, would soon be uh, asked to participate or be present during legal proceedings. He said, I'm not turning this into a petting zoo. And, this, you know, this is not going to be some dog and pony show. I, no way am I having a dog in the courtroom. And so that created quite the stir amongst the other judges. So what Celeste and I do is we go to jurisdictions and, and teach the judges and lawyers and court staff about these dogs and how this is supposed to work. And so I knew that was coming, and we like to train in courtrooms because it's just easier to convey what this is going to look like. And before the judges, there were three judges there, before they arrived, I put our dog, Molly, in the witness box and uh, put her in a, I just said, down, stay. And she promptly curled up inside the witness box and uh, went to sleep. So the judges filed in, and they were sitting in the jury box. It was just happenstance, and they were just a you know, few feet away. And I proceeded with the training, and then, of course, we got to the point where the judges said, well, look, I just don't see how this can work. This is going to be very distracting for the jury. How's, any, how's anybody going to focus in on what's going on? And, you know, we think we're just going to rely upon the usual way to calm people with, you know, down by kids holding teddy bears and that sort of thing. And I said, well, I beg to, I beg to differ. Um, and then with that, um, I went over to the witness box, and woke up Molly and said, there's been a dog here this entire time, and you didn't even know it. (laughs) And they were absolutely shocked. (laughs) And I said, listen, having a dog like this is far less prejudicial to the defendant in terms of, you know, because the defense is concerned that people or the jurors are going to like this dog and like the prosecution witness more because they have a dog. And I'm saying that a child clutching a teddy bear is going to be much more sympathetic than a dog lying in, almost invisible um, in front of the jury, mm-hmm. um, to the jury. It, it's, it's a much better way to provide this support without there being any uh, prejudice towards the defendant. Mm. So that was quite convincing, and they said, well, you know, kind of like, can you do this again in front of some of the other judges? We won't tell them what this <laughs> looks like. So yeah. that was quite successful, and it really, it takes, seeing is believing yeah. that these judges, you know, that they, they then understand, no, I can conduct a trial, and, 
and the dog is not going to be a distraction. Well, and I imagine that some of these judges um, and just people in general, you know, their only experience with dogs, whether it be family dogs or they've not had much experience with dogs or they've just known, you know, always had dogs that barked a lot or dogs that were kind of out of control and, and they've never experienced a dog that was as calm as these dogs can be. That's true. And until my son, Sean, for those who didn't hear the first episode a mm. few years ago, has cerebral palsy. He's 33 now, and I had Sean when I was in law school, and and he's just a fantastic young man. And he got a service dog um, in 2003. And until then, I didn't have a clue what service dogs look like or how they behaved until I until he got that, and I went down and was trained on how to handle him on behalf of Sean, I had no idea. So I can appreciate that people don't know what this looks like. And that's why on our website we have a short film uh, where a dog trainer from Assistance Dogs of the West is talking about the type of dog that does this work. Mm -hmm. And there is a dog right beside her while she's providing this information so that you can actually see what this looks like um, and, and get a much better idea. So I've heard people share when, as they have had therapy dogs, um, you know, visiting a children's hospital, for example, or something like that, um, not a facility dog, but, you know, just sort of a team, a person and their, and their therapy dog. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, were standing in the elevator, traveling from one floor to another, and, and they're there to visit the patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, uh, doctor walks in who just had a really hard surgery or something like that and kneels down and gives the dog a big hug and just lets out the sigh. And I imagine that in this environment, these dogs really support everybody, not, you know, the the, the people who they're specifically intended to support, um, oftentimes victims of crimes, but also everybody around who's who's in these really high stress environments. Um, absolutely. Another thing that changed over the years, you know, I started as a prosecutor in 1985. Um, it was expected that prosecutors um, should not be affected by stress at all. You're supposed to put your armor on, and it's not supposed to impact you at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wasn't the case for me, I can tell you, and, and it was a big secret. Everybody else was stressed out by the job. And fortunately, now they're calling this vicarious trauma, because mm. when you see so much pain and suffering going on around you that impacts you and then you're also i tell you going into trial is like going into battle yeah. you you've got that adrenaline rush going you're ready to fight and that is extremely draining as well so yes i think that um the dog does have a huge impact and i again it can just be seeing that dog walk down the hallway you know where i've walked molly down a courthouse hallway and somebody will come up to me and, and, and will say, just seeing her just made my day. Mm. I, I mean, it takes that little. Um, and, and defense attorneys I used to fight with, I had a whole different perspective of them when they get in the elevator with me and, and see uh, Molly and then start talking baby talk to her, would you, would you? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you're a nice person after all, of course, you yeah. know. Yeah. And they just kind of bring people bring people together and and make a much more positive environment. Yeah. Well, I know I always feel that anywhere is better with a dog. I mean, pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. if we walk into a, 
a hotel or something while we're traveling and they're and they have like a, a mascot in the mm-hmm. lobby we're always like oh you know oh and like run mm-hmm. over and of course we're missing our own dogs and um mm-hmm. so so um now you have a conference coming up yes mm-hmm. and is that something that is um who is the conference for is this um something for, sort of within the within the a profession or anybody no, it or is, it is within the profession it's for um uh, judges lawyers victim advocates uh, law enforcement. Um, it's also for um, the assistance dog organizations that make this placement because they need to learn about the legal system so they know what kind of dog should do this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it's for that population. The other thing is, is that what we're talking about, we're talking about some sensitive issues there mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, in that setting as well. And so we don't want children under the age of uh, 17 present there mm-hmm. because listening to these very harsh things that happen to kids is, is kind of difficult yeah. to talk uh, to listen to. Yeah. And that's coming up soon. And you said that um, Courthouse Dogs is exploding in Canada. Yes, it is. It's been, uh, they're fast on our tracks, and uh, this is within just a few years as well. But uh, Alberta is where the most of the action is. And initially when we went up there, again, it was like, oh, we're very formal here in Canada. It's not like the Wild West U.S. down, you know, <laughs> uh, down below us here. Mm-hmm. Um, and But now these dogs are going into court in, in Canada. So that they started in Alberta um, and then recently in British Columbia. And now they're in the same situation we are in terms of trying to establish standards for this mm-hmm. and and um, documents, so uh, it, it, they're in the they're in going through the same process that mm. we went through, and uh, we're actually having a meeting talking about how they can all get together and, and provide some standards for the rest of their country. So this is not a um, a wing of of courthouse dogs. This is like a separate organization organization in Canada that's doing similar work or is this part no, it's, it's of part of courthouse to, it's analogous to what we're doing we have they're called crown council up there and uh and victim advocates and assistance dog organizations so okay. they are pulling to you know somebody has the idea and says let's do this so it's it's just very organic somebody wants to do it they usually call us what do you think we give them some advice and that is how it's it's growing um, there, so it's no one's in charge yet, um, and and I think they're just kind of we're all working together, and that's what we want to do internationally because uh, we have people from Barcelona coming to our conference as well to see how this works because they want to bring this practice to Spain. Yeah. You know? Well, and you said that the FBI is getting on board with the program and will be receiving a courthouse facility dog next month. That is absolutely true. Assistance Dogs of the West, um, located in Santa Fe, is placing a dog with the FBI Victim Services. And again, in terms of this no longer being just a goofy idea, right. having the you know federal law enforcement now doing this and mm. the federal courts looking at this only makes what we're doing far more credible. But this dog is going to be working nationally. So if there is some, uh, you know, crisis situation, it can be, you know, uh, environmental crisis, an earthquake or, or, you know, that sort of thing, 
or, you know, like mudslide and Oso. Some of our local dogs went to help with that. Um, Or it can be crime-related as well. This dog is going to get on a plane and and go and provide this service. Yeah. Um, What are some of the things that... Oh, one of the things I remember you said, and I assume it's still the case, because a lot of times people will ask, well, where do these dogs live? Mm -hmm. So do they go home with somebody at night? Right, and that's another unfortunate thing about the term facility dog is a lot of people think, oh, does it live in the courthouse and, you know, guard the place? Right. No, um, these dogs are placed with a primary handler, and that usually is a victim advocate or a forensic interviewer or a detective. Now they're working in family court, so this could be a CASA volunteer, a court-appointed special advocate uh, is working with these dogs in civil proceedings as well. So they're placed with a professional working in the legal environment, and then they go to work every day with their handler, and at the end of the day, they go home, and they they are babied and loved and have fabulous dog lives, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the handlers, you know, they've got an incredible companion, uh, both at work and at home. How many dogs are, you know, in circulation right now? Uh, our last count is um, there are now 86 dogs, wow. and probably when I talked to you in 2011, there might have been like 30 or something like that, but there's now 86 mm. dogs working in 28 states. And of course, our mission is lots of dogs in every state. I mean, that's where that's where we want to get to. Yeah. Uh, ideally, every courthouse or child advocacy center would, would have a dog yeah. uh, in the future. And have you gotten to the point where you've retired dogs? Yes. Um, Stilson up in Snohomish County, he uh-huh. retired. Uh-huh. Um, and so he was one of the first dogs placed in that environment. Now, Ellie, who was placed at the King County Prosecutor's Office in 2004, yeah. is still working. Wow. And she has helped thousands of people, mm. mostly children, over the course of her career. Mm-hmm. So this dog was placed free of charge by Canine Companions, million-dollar liability insurance free of charge, the two weeks of training for for the handler free of charge, and she mm-hmm. has done incredible work at little or no cost to the county. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. So is it just sort of um, people... Um are just sort of tune in tune with the dog and make the call when they think that the dog is ready to retire? Yes, I think so. So they usually retire between 8 and 10 years of age. Mm-hmm. Our dog, Molly, is now 8, and she's not slowing down. Uh, but <laughs> some of the dogs do start to slow down, yeah. and it can it's just dependent upon, just like humans. Some are still running, you sure. know. Uh, you know, working full-time in their mid to late 70s, and yeah. some of us are kicked back and like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. So it, it kind of works that way with, mm-hmm. with the dog. Cool. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to say before we say goodbye today about anything? Well, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity, and um, I just hope the listeners out there uh, think about this and... Um, and support this idea because, as I said before, this is getting to be kind of a grassroots movement, mm-hmm. and we need support from the public um, as well. How can people um, support you? 
Well, we're a nonprofit organization, so okay. certainly you could support us um, by making donations. Mm-hmm. But also, I have to tell you, there have been a few times where a crime victim has gone to a prosecutor and said, I've heard about these dogs. Can you, can you get me one? And we've gotten the call, and, and somebody says, is there a dog nearby, or how can I get one of these dogs? Mm. And getting that input from the public to prosecutors and judges would be very, very helpful as well. Mm-hmm. So supporting through donations and just education and awareness, and uh, what is the best contact for, for people to use if they want to get in touch and, and offer themselves? I would say um, the uh, go to our website. Mm-hmm. We have tons of information there. You can learn quite a bit about how this works, and we also have a manual that we've just published about these dogs working at child advocacy centers and in legal proceedings. Mm-hmm. So everything is on our website. Our contact information is there, as well as our phone number. Right. And that website, again, is courthousedogs.org. Correct. Awesome. Well, Thank you and your team and the dogs and Sean and Jeter and everybody who has made this movement happen. It's really clearly uh, such a powerful force of good in this world in a in an environment that really needs that. So, well, I thank you so much for that summation. That was beautiful, Julie. (laughs) Well, my pleasure. Um, And thanks so much for coming on the show. It's wonderful to talk with you again. Um, again, if you've um, loved this interview and you want to learn more about uh, some of the backstory and listen to our first interview back in 2011, you can just go to our website, dogradioshow.com, and go back to episode number 97. Uh, it was in January of 2011. You can also download it for free from iTunes. And uh, keep up the great work, you guys. And we will be back in just a few minutes. We're going to take a quick break, and then I have some announcements and going to give you a recap of the Vashon Sheepdog Trials. I was at uh, that event all weekend long, and it was a blast. I'm going to fill you in on that, too. Ellen, take good care, and um, I look forward to hearing about all the great stuff that you do moving forward. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options 
to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E.com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Lewis and Clark would be proud. We're exploring new territory on the air every day right here on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. That sounds like a theme song to a TV show or something. Tell me it is. You're correct. (laughs) That's the Law and Order theme song. Yeah. That sounds familiar. I'm not. I don't watch that show, but I. I was like, isn't that interesting? How we recognize it's like recognition of things like that. Doesn't it even, sound like being in court? It, well, it sounds like some <laughs> sort of dramatic television show. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we spent the first uh, part of the show talking about dogs in the courtroom. Appropriate as always, Eric. You are with your songs. I try. <laughs> so, you have, I. One of these years, Eric, you've got to come out to the Vashon Sheepdog Trials. It's, oh. It definitely sounds like fun. Oh, my gosh. I'm, it was, I felt like I was, I mean, not to, like I was work, you know, working and contributing and, and just really jamming with everybody putting on their biggest event to date. Um, and I also, at the same time, I was enjoying myself so much. I felt like I was on vacation. I saw your uh, updates on Facebook, oh, and yeah. you definitely looked like you were on vacation, like you were oh having a good gosh, time. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. So I posted um, a bunch of photos from the event um, all weekend long, re- some really fun photos. You can go to our Facebook page and check those out. Um, just go to Facebook and search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes and become a fan if you're not already um. Yeah. This. Uh, I just. I love this event. I love everything about this event. Um, except that it's once a year, and so I have to wait a year for it to come back. But that's okay. And we've got some great ideas for next year. And um, it is. And I learned so much this year because, um, I was like the the backup MC for um Laura Vashut. I've got to give her a shout out because she did such an awesome job announcing the event and um kind of it was a, kind of like how a sports announcer mm-hmm. um but not you know not in, in an obnoxious way at all you know in a sheepdog trial way but she's explaining to the audience what all is happening because if you're especially new to the trials you don't really know what's going on and there's different 
panels that the dog tries to get the sheep through. There's a certain sequence of tasks that they do, you know, a certain order to which they move the sheep. And so Laura was explaining, um, and she's been, um, you know, a handler. She's, you know, competing in the trials and, and knows the whole community. And so she was able to tell everybody about the person and the dog. And, you know, she kind of knew about what, what a lot of the people were up to. And um, so I sat next to her for most of the, you know, most of the weekend for three days and um, just learned so much about what's going on, which was really cool for me because I'm obviously such a fan of this event. So it was wonderful to increase my depth of knowledge of what was going on and to hear um, the audience was great and asking questions um, so I, I got to hear her answers to those too and, and therefore learned the answers myself. Um, you know, the sheepdog finals are like the national finals are coming up um, September 21st to the 26th. And a lot of the competitors who were at the um, Vashon trials are going to the finals. So, um, you know, wish everybody luck in the Sheepdog Finals. And I believe the website is just sheepdogfinals.com. Now, do, let me ask you this. Do they give out trophies or ribbons or they have or, uh, some um, kind of uh, mm. award for, you know, top yeah. herding, I guess? They do. They had, um, it wasn't a trophy, but it was um, like a gift. Okay. And it was a framed, I think it was a piece of art. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, because I was wondering what that trophy would look like. Is it a little silver sheep with a like a dog nipping at its <laughs> leg, or is it gonna? Uh, is it like a sack of wool? <laughs> what do they give? I was curious. Oh no, it's so it's um at at Vashon anyway. It was um I think it was a um well they had some like engraved herding whistles and um, different kinds of gifts and then. I think the winner of the sort of like overall combined high mm-hmm. score over the whole weekend. Um, I, I couldn't quite see. I was on their Facebook page and looking at it and he was holding um, a framed, uh, looked like a piece of art, something framed that they had made for him. Um, and I'm sure that there's other prizes. But speaking of wool, one of the one of my long list of favorite things about the weekend was that this year, which was new, there was a whole fiber arts village. So it was a whole cluster of tents that were sort of separate from the the vendors and the food. Um, and it was all sorts of demonstrations of, of around, you know, uses of wool. You know, of course, like lots of people selling yarn, really gorgeous stuff. I mean... Um, Sweaters galore, I imagine. Well, there wasn't a lot no? of... Um, pre-made stuff for sale it was a lot of like yarn for sale okay. for people who want to make stuff um, make was the like, sweaters yeah. themselves there was like felting demonstrations there was spinning so where they're spinning um, wool into yarn you could see them doing that like with like the old school like spinning wheels um, sheep shearing demonstrations and that was such a cool element to the event. And it was, I don't know, there was something about, it's like the dogs herding the sheep and then having this whole wool section and then having like the dog vendors. It was a really awesome balance, kind of a nice organic dynamic going on there. I always love watching the communication from human to dog, from dog to sheep, from sheep to human, from sheep to dog, from dog to, I mean, 
it's like they're all um, uh, one of the handlers. I don't know if it was Donald McCaig who said this, the author who I interviewed at the trials on Saturday, or if it was during our panel discussion, or it might have been something that Laura said um, while she was announcing. But they they said that it's like the th- the human, the dog, and the sheep are almost are so connected that it's almost like they have one mind. It's really, really awesome to see. Um, one of the themes of the weekend or one of the questions that was asked a number of times or sort of comments that we overheard was that sheep are stupid. And that they said very clearly over and over again, no, sheeps are not stupid. Sheep are not stupid. For example, one of the last tasks is to get all the sheep, it's like a small flock of five sheep, into a pen. And the sheep don't want to go in the pen. And so a lot of times that sort of looks like stupidity to people, but it's they don't want to go in the pen because they don't feel safe. They're from Oregon. They've never been in that pen before. And so Would they're, you want to go in the pen? Well, I know. <laughs> Probably right? not. So they are, um, you know, they're following their instinct. Mm-hmm. They have a very good reason as to why they do what they do and why they don't do what they don't do and it's not an issue of stupidity. And somebody said really beautifully that we just we just can't relate very well to their type of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked that. Like we're it's our inability to relate to their intelligence. It's not that they lack intelligence. Right. So. Oh, it was awesome. So much to say about it. Um, Vashon Sheepdog Classic dot com is the website. Keep your eyes out for it next time. I mean, of course, I'll be talking about it on the show. But if you missed it this year, I'm telling you, do not miss it next year. It's such an awesome event. We spent the whole weekend out there this year, and we'll definitely be doing that moving forward. So I want to thank our partners, Natural Pet Pantry, Pure Air, Odor Eliminator, and Jet City Animal Clinic. Natural Pet Pantry is doing some promos to support Old Dog Haven Pure Air is one of the items um, on sale or participating in this promo, and it's going on until mid-October at their stores. Natural Pet Pantry is in Kirkland, um, right in the same shopping center as the PCC. They have a beautiful store in Kirkland, and then they also have a cute little store in Burien. So Pure Air is $7 off their gallons, $3 off their 22-ounce spray bottles, and then there's an additional 10% off as part of a donation to Old Dog Haven Um, So you can check out Natural Pet Pantry online at naturalpetpantry.com. I recommend their food all the time. It's awesome food. We feed it to our dogs, locally made. And I've had Randy on the show a number of times over the years. Also, you can find Pure Air online if you maybe don't live in the area and you can't get to the Natural Pet Pantry to buy it. Thepureairstore.com and Pure Air Air is spelled A-Y-R-E. So heads up on that. Thepureairstore.com. A-Y-R-E for air. Uh, Saturday the 26th, my wife Darcy and I will be at the Jet City Animal Clinic Puppy Party from 2 to 4 p.m. We're going to be offering um, some guidance for people and their puppies. Uh, This is open to anybody with a dog less than six months old, but you have to call them to let you know that you're coming and the dogs must be up to date on their vaccines. You can call Jet City Animal Clinic at 206-329-0253. Um, 
one of the cool things about it is that it makes the clinic a positive place for the puppies. And Dr. Anderson said you should see how excited they are to come in afterwards. I think that's a great idea. Next week, I'll be talking with Becky Bishop, who I've been, um, who's been on my radar for years. She's the founder of Reading with Rover, awesome organization. Then I'm also going to be talking with the director of Seattle Animal Shelter. Um, can't wait, wait for next week live Wednesday at 2 p.m. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Thank you.